<laughs> feels really weird to be there and then to walk up here. It just, it's an odd thing. <laughs> I wish you guys were more here, but it's fine. You're, com- you're comfy. It, you don't walk into someone's house and tell them how to get comfy, so I'm sorry. That was a bad move. <laughs> I shouldn't have done that, but you know, it, it'll only go up from here. Hang on. I'm doing this thing where I use an iPad instead of paper. And Oh, look at that. It went well. Friends, it's really good to be with you. What a great privilege to come and just spend time and, and serve you. I was, when Scotty reached out and um, just asked if I, you know, in his beautiful Scottish way, hey, would you, if you're not tied up, would you come and speak at our wee church? And I... Um, I, I got a little bit emotional, and then I went to my wife. That's how, yeah, it's like, I got a little emotional because just the, the, the privilege to serve the church is just that. It's an absolute privilege, you know. Anytime we get a chance to speak or, or hold space with one another or fill places of prayer, I mean, and ultimately, posturing ourselves in the presence of God, what a privilege. I mean, our God is absolutely irrational in the invitations that he gives in human terms. Like, his invitation is to constantly come near, be with him as we are with one another. And then he entrusts his redemptive work to us to be present to the world around us. I mean, when you really think about the wonder of God, the I don't even have a good word. You're going to hear me use the word wonder a lot because I just like it, you know, just the heart of the gospel. It's really quite astounding. So when Scotty asked if I would come and just be with you, share a bit, um, I was just really humbled and honored. So thank you for trusting Scotty to give an invitation, and, uh, and I'm writing his trust to be with you here today, and, and I'm going to do it really, really well. Does that seem a good way to, to start our time together? Awesome. I think so. Okay. I hope so. We're going to live in that. I'm, like Emily said, I'm from Kansas City. Um, I, I serve at a church called Nava Church. It's within the 24-7 community, prayer, swirl, everything that is 24-7 prayer. I live just outside the city in the town that I grew up in, though as soon as I graduated high school, I did my best to escape it. And then if about six years ago, the Lord um, invited me and my wife to just root in the downtown of the city in which I grew up in. I thought he was a little squirrely, but I had already said yes to Jesus, so you just kind of go with it when he invites you to do those things. It would have made way more sense to be in the heart of Kansas City where Nava is, and you, you know, you want to be in the flow and the context and really the cool places in which God is doing something, but where we think is the cool places in which God is doing something. But I tell you what, he really has given me a heart for my community that's on the outskirts of anything that would seem sexy or excellent. And I'm just loving being present to my neighborhood with my eyes open, curious to what God is doing. That's, that's one of the great opportunities of the gospel is, yes, to come in power, but I think we first show up with curiosity. Um, and that's just really a, a wonderful posture to live in. We're going to talk a lot about that this morning, I think. But for those that want to know, when you hear Kansas City, you're like, oh, you must be from Kansas. I, that's an excellent assumption. Kansas City is right on the border, though. I'm on the Missouri side. Lush, beautiful, dynamic Missouri. It's gorgeous. And Kansas is over here. 
So if you find yourself coming to Kansas City, make sure that you fall out of the plane on the right side, and we'll show you a really good time when you come to visit. Grace to anyone that's from Kansas here. I bless you, and you know, we go from glory to glory, so I trust glory will be on the other side of your season in Kansas. That's just really, really good. So... um, for those that like to take notes, I don't have any slides. I'm really bad at that sort of thing, but I could probably get better. But if you are taking notes, you want to write some things down, we're going to be in Luke 19 together. And um, I want to talk to you guys about this, that curiosity in the kingdom of God leads to encounter. That's going to be the title of our talk this morning, of our time together in our space. Well, like I said, we'll be in Luke 19 Um, I don't know if I'll say anything new to you, but my hope is that the Spirit of God would be with us and and take stories that we might be familiar with or that we've heard a bunch of times, you know, or we sang songs about when we were a kid, you know, that the Spirit of God makes it fresh. God is so good at taking familiar things, old things, tired things, and bringing new life into it. I love when Jesus came, when the great redemptive purposes of God were underway, he didn't see us muck it up in the garden and say, well, scrap that, let me rebuild something. He went to redeem something and take something that was old and, 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 and maybe mishandled, and he made it fresh again. The gospel is about making fresh that which is tired and weary. So that's what I'm trusting the Lord is going to do with us this morning. And I think sometimes the way we enter into the wonder and the work of God is through curiosity. I think we don't have to look far in the scriptures. I think Jesus was speaking a bit to this when a child likeness is such a beautiful thing. Those that have kids know that it's often their curiosity. Once we get over maybe the like, man, you ask a million and one questions. I have three kids, so I know this well. A million and one questions. We, we get to a place hopefully where we're in awe of their curiosity. They've not seen it before. They've not experienced it before. They've not tasted it before. And so naturally, they would come to us and say, what's this, what's that, and why? Curiosity leads them to an encounter with us, and then we get to lead them into encounters or opportunities to experience life. So I think we have some biblical foundations, and as parents and people, experiential foundations on how curiosity might lead us into greater realms of encounter and understanding with people, with places, with the world around us, and ultimately with the Lord. Does that sound okay? So that's where we find ourselves this morning. And I, I, I'm here to, I'm here because I just want to serve the work of God that's happening in this church. He's doing some wonderful things in this body. I've just heard a few of them, but he's doing wonderful things. And I think you as a body, if you'll let me just to presume, um, I presume that some of your curiosity of what God might be up to has led you to various encounters with the goodness of God that has lifted faith in our hearts and hope in our community that he really is with us and he really is going to do something in and through us. 
So I'm presuming that about you. So I'm trusting that this conversation around curiosity that leads to encounter will land somewhat well. And if it doesn't, you can absolutely blame Scotty because he's the one that invited me. I get to talk to you and then I get to fly home. Scotty's left to pick up all the pieces of what's going on here today. So um, we, we bless you, Scotty, as you minister in another part of the city, man. Okay. Two things I would really like to leave here today that we um, will have experienced together as we root ourselves in the scriptures. I want us to have just a fresh imagination. I want us to have a sense of wonder of who God is and the way he does things. To have a deeper imagination, a fresh curiosity of why he does things the way he does things. Why do I want this for us? Because I think it's in these moments that we grow. This is how we grow in Christ. It's how we grow with him and in his world. And I want us to grow. I want to be formed more into the image of Jesus. And I, and, and so that he may then send me and spin me however he would like to. So the second thing I'm hopeful for is that we would receive an impartation, a commission with God in a fresh way. Because we do want to go. We want to go in the power of the Spirit with the friendship of Jesus. And we want to join him in his redemptive work. Yeah, I think that's why we're here. There could be other cozier places to gather on a Sunday morning, so I don't think it's the building that necessarily brings us, but we trust that God is doing something, and we want to join him on this co-laboring redemptive work that he has in the world. So simply, I'm just inviting us to, we want to look close, be with Jesus, marveling at the wonder of him, and learning a deeper way to follow him. Amen? Amen. Okay. So let's look at the scriptures. Luke 19. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10 this morning. This is a story you're well familiar with. Like I said, some of us may have sung songs about a wee little man named Zacchaeus. I don't think Luke was Scottish, but I think it's great. I mean, I, you know, it works. It makes sense. It makes sense that I would talk about a wee little man in my friend's church. I keep poking that um, Scotty is Scottish. That just landed on me. That was fun. And, and, <laughs> that was fun. And I think I just love it. I think I like having a Scottish friend because I see, secretly like have a deep passion for the United Kingdom. It's why I wear my shirts buttoned up to the top and slimmer pants and look for really great jackets because they're just way cooler there, in my opinion, than they are here. So um, <laughs> just really fun. Just a quick note. We Zacchaeus. Scotty. We'll leave it there. Okay, let's read. Let's read the scriptures together. Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. 
But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He is gone to be with the, a guest of a man who is a sinner. And then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Wow. It's a curious story to me. It's a small story. And it's one of these stories that has a few major bullet points. It, it, it says some things, but it doesn't say a whole lot. It's a small story, but I, I have found, and I'm suggesting to you, that it's incredibly significant. And I found myself in reading it recently just going like, why is it in there? You ever approach the scriptures and you read something, you're like, well, that's interesting, you know, you, why is it in there? Yes, we could do the, the Sunday school answer. Well, Jesus, that's why it's in there. Jesus is in the story, so, you know, we'll do that. But in John's gospel, John finishes his gospel with Jesus did so many things in his ministry of three years that if they were to be written down, there would not be enough books in the world to catalog it. So how did this one get in there? And others did not. There's a reason it's in the scriptures. And I, as I was reading, I'm wondering what is in here for us? What might God be wanting us to, to see about himself? That's why I'm curious about it. So just a, a gentle context. Obviously, it takes place in Jericho. William Barclay, a commentator of the scriptures, said, Jericho was a very wealthy and a very important town. It lay in the Jordan Valley, commanded both the approach to Jerusalem and the crossings of the river, which gave access to the lands east of the Jordan. Great palm forest, world-famous balsam groves, which perfumed the air for miles around. Its gardens of rose were known far and wide. Men called it the city of palms. Josephus called it divine region, the fattest in Palestine. The Romans carried its dates and balsam to the worldwide trade and fame. All of this combined to make Jericho one of the greatest taxation centers in Palestine. So here's, we've set the stage. Here's our text. Jesus has set his face like flint. He's headed to Jerusalem and he goes through Jericho. It's a major, it's on a major road in between. On one side, you've got the Jordan River and on the other side, you've got Jerusalem and you've got to go through it. That's what Jesus is doing. He's on his way. He comes to Jericho. It's a wealthy town. There's lots of commerce. There's lots of dynamic life happening in it. So it's a good place if you want to get into finance, perhaps, to go there. So we read in the scriptures that a man named Zacchaeus finds himself in town as a chief tax collector working in finance. Probably not best practices, but we'll talk about that as we move down the road. This city was 15 miles outside of Jerusalem. In, in another sense, it was a half a day's walk. So one of the things I'm curious about in this story is why stop there? You're on the way, Jesus. You're headed somewhere way better than this. You have stuff that you are busy doing. Why stop here? Why stop short of your destination in this city? And I'm convinced it's because he was seeking encounter with a man named Zacchaeus. 
tax collector, presumably in one of the wealthier cities that I had mentioned, and we can assume that he was really good at his job. Why? Because the scripture said he was rich. That's easy. That's low-hanging fruit, you know. Was he wealthy? Yes, because the Bible says so. So we can tell that he was good at his job because he had a lot of money as a chief tax collector. And two, this is just my, my wondering, I think uh, further on in the text we realize that he just was not liked by the people, so he probably did a really great job at his job. <laughs> he was a chief tax collector, and so he was really good at what he did, and by that I mean that he probably did a great job in a bad way extortion, abuse of power, oppressive policy is essentially how these in this profession operated within their context. So this is what we have going on. We have a wealthy city on the way to Jerusalem. We have a chief tax collector who's probably not hurting externally in his life. And we have Jesus on his way to something we now know incredibly important. And that's pretty much what we see in the story. Now, by the end of the text, we see that something takes place that will change the course of Zacchaeus' life. So I want to look at that together, and I want to ask some questions, and I want to see, Jesus, what is in your heart? What are you up to? And how can I join you in the work? Does that seem okay? That's what we're going to be looking for as we approach the scriptures on ahead. So we're going to ask a lot of questions. I like asking questions. That's a new practice for me. It's really easy for me to get in environments and really seek to say a lot of good stuff. But I'm really in personal practice of learning to ask good questions, even when I approach the scriptures. So as we're sitting before them today, I just want to say it's okay to ask questions of the text. It's okay to ask the Lord what he meant. It's okay to ask what he's saying. It's okay to ask where he is. It's okay to ask, how are you inviting me to be with you. So we're going to ask a lot of questions of the scriptures today. Well, let's look first specifically at verses 3 and 4 a little more closely. Verse 3, and he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was short of stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going past that way. Okay. The scriptures are pretty silent on a few things in this text. And one thing that he's silent on, that, I, that Luke is silent on, that I really wish it, he could have like unfolded a little bit more, is why was Zacchaeus there? Why did he want to see Jesus? What was he doing? The scriptures say very little. So here's a few curious questions I have. I submit them to you. We're not seeking answers necessarily, but I'm just going to ask some questions. Was he curious about Jesus physically? Clearly, he had heard about Jesus in the region. Jesus was quite famous around Jerusalem, the Decapolis, all in that area. You know, so you, you can imagine when you hear something good is going on, and, 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 and you hear that there's someone named Jesus turning the whole region upside down, turning it on its head, and you get an opportunity to just get a glimpse. Like, what does that sort of man look like that has turned the whole area of it? You know, you want to get a glimpse. I remember being in high school and... One of the presidents, I don't remember which, was coming through Lee Summit, the town I, I, I live in, and he was speaking it to school, and I, it was packed. Not necessarily, probably because everybody was interested in what, the, what he had to say or, or, you know, agree or disagree, but there's something, you just want to see it. 
You just want to see the person. You know, oftentimes they live as an idea, but sometimes you just want to see what this sort of influence or power or person might look like. So was Zacchaeus, did he hear Jesus was coming? And he just said, I'm going to go and get a peek. I just want to see. I've heard his name. I want to see his face. Did he not want to miss a moment to see a really important person? It makes us feel important to be near important people, right? Full disclosure, sometimes we just like the idea of being near important people. Here's a curious question. Had Zacchaeus heard that this Jesus had a habit of calling tax collectors out of their context to follow him? Had he heard that somewhere around his area there was another really successful tax collector and within two words this man would leave a lucrative life, forsake it all and follow Jesus? You can read about that in Matthew 9. I'm obviously talking about the calling of Matthew. Did Zacchaeus hear about this and wonder what sort of man, what must it be like for someone like this to call this man and a whole life has changed? I just wonder what that looks like. Is that what drove Zacchaeus out of his possibly really posh pad and go and get in a more than likely crowded, hot, squished in environment to get a glimpse of Jesus? Some scholars and commentators have suggested that there was this hunger in Zacchaeus' heart. And he looked around the landscape of his life and he said, this can't be all there is. You know, some of that rise to power and influence and money sort of thing. And you find out you're not any happier than, than you were when you were, you know, at, at the bottom of the barrel. Maybe. But what I am saying is the scriptures are pretty quiet about it. We have no idea why Zacchaeus was there. It's curious, isn't it? It's curious why Zacchaeus was curious. And it makes me curious. I don't know about you. Whatever the reason is, he was there. And we can't imagine that it wasn't an easy decision for him. He already said he was a chief tax collector, so he was the best at being not great. In an occupation that was not always kind and had other people's interest in mind. So with that being said, I don't think he was so successful he was walking around with a personal guard. So by leaving his house and getting in the midst of a crowd to just get a glimpse at Jesus, I'm asking, could we maybe wonder if he was opening himself up to public shame and ridicule? People hurling insults at him? People maybe... Um, given him a bump or a push or a trip, you know. The scriptures say he was trying to see Jesus. I don't think we see anything that says the tree was his first idea. You would imagine he's going to try to get to the front of the line. Maybe he's assuming he has a right there, that people are just going to move out of the way. Maybe they fear him enough that they're going to say, oh, let's move out of the way Zacchaeus is coming. But no, the scriptures don't say that. We can assume or infer that he could not get to the front of the parade line. Because they wouldn't let him in. And you have this man of power and influence now mingling with the people. And, and now they're kind of on equal footing, at least environmentally. And it doesn't sound like they're going to let him in. And I'm wondering if he had to know this in some sense or fashion. If he had to really think about, if I go out here, what am I exposing myself to? 
like I said, public shame, maybe some physical getting slapped around, or maybe worse, I don't know. (laughs) Not to mention, the dude was short. Luke didn't leave it out. He was a short man. So there might have been some ego involved. He wasn't wearing his position out to the parade. All we know is he wanted to see who Jesus was. We don't know why. (laughs) But we can assume, or I'd like to assume, and I would like to suggest to you that there was a cost for him to seek the Lord. And we can assume that he considered the choice and made it anyway. And I think this is important to note. There was no guarantee he was going to get to talk to Jesus, spend time with Jesus. We have nothing in the text that would tell us that, that his money, power, and position earned him a right to have a coffee with Jesus or, you know, a one-on-one time. So with all of these curious things rolling through my mind, I wonder if they're rolling through yours, what drives this man who... We, we can't assume has anything to gain by being there, made the choice to be there anyway. If only to see Jesus walk by. Is that curious to anyone else? It's curious to me. And it, it, it led me to a question I've been meditating on for a while. <laughs> what was Jesus like in presence that even his enemies, or at the very least the enemies of his values, Wanted to get near to him. Have you ever wondered about that? Luke's gospel is really good about it, but I'm just shocked in the gospels of how often Jesus' enemies kept inviting him to dinner. <laughs> Luke 7, we see a Pharisee inviting Jesus over for a chat. Uh, multiple times he sat down to have a meal, and oftentimes they're trying to trap him or test him or figure him out, or I don't know, but I just, you know, I'm just. It's just odd to me. What did he have to be like in presence, in sight, to behold him? That even his enemies, or the enemies of his values, for example, a chief tax collector, just wanted to see him. I'm curious about what the Lord had to be like when he walked the earth. Either way, we know it was some sort of desire that drove this man Zacchaeus down just to see. And that his curiosity made a way for him to be lifted up into an encounter with Jesus. So let's look at that. Let's go a little further. Yeah, let's look at verses 5 through 8. Verse 5, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him and he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, he is gone to be guest with a sinner, a man, a man who sins. And then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone By false accusation, I restore fourfold. So we we see a curious man doing a curious thing, seeking to see Jesus. He can't get to the front of the parade, so he climbs a tree just to get a peek. 
He just wants a glimpse. And then we see Jesus respond to his curiosity. Do you see this? Curiosity brings someone to pursue Jesus, seek Jesus. We're being generous. To seek Jesus, to get a glimpse. Curiosity has driven someone to get a peek. The Lord, in response to curiosity, comes near. There's a curiosity in the kingdom of God that leads us to an encounter with the living Christ. How did he do this? I'm going to suggest three things. I think there's lots of things that we could draw out of here, but I want to suggest three ways in which Jesus met Zacchaeus' curiosity with an encounter. One, Jesus was preemptive. He moved first for encounter. Now, yes, Zacchaeus came out of his house and he climbed a tree to see, but Jesus moved first for an encounter. He was preemptive. He moved. He stopped. He looked. And then two, he was personal. He used his name. Zacchaeus. And you know he had to stop and he had to look and there was a moment of eye contact. And then Jesus says his name. And you can imagine Zacchaeus' like heart drops to his chest and his mouth gets dry a little bit. And you, you know, I just wanted a peek and now here's the man. I've come to see. And he said my name. And he said, I want to be in your house. Not I want to go to the local watering hole or the restaurant or even right here and there. I want to be in your presence, in your space. So Jesus was preemptive and then he was personal. The third thing I would add is Jesus was prophetic in this moment. Remember the context of the story. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. They didn't know it at the time, but we know it now. He was on his way to the cross. He had set his face like flint to go to the city, surrender himself as the creator to the creation and be crucified for the redemption of all things. He was doing with Zacchaeus what he was on his way to do with all of us. Jesus was preemptive. He was personal. And I'm suggesting he was prophetic. Wow. And because of this, a man's life was transformed. The redemptive, invasive, invite yourself to stay the night love of Jesus, like change Zacchaeus' life and his story. Zacchaeus had a story before the tree. And by the end of this day, he found himself smack dab in the middle of God's story. This is incredible. Curiosity that led to encounter that brought transformation and redemption of a life. I'm curious about curiosity and what it might do in the kingdom of God.
Let's read the last two verses together. Yeah? I say together. I'll read it. You don't have to read it out loud. We're not doing that sort of thing. Verse 9. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. This is why Jesus came. I'm suggesting this is why the story is in the book. It's small, like the man in which it's framed around. (laughs) But it's significant, like the man in which it's framed around. This is the wonder of Jesus. He's present to the world that may be looking for him, may be curious, maybe are interested and just having a peek, but no imagination that there would be invitation to get close and definitely no expectation for encounter. Do you see? Think about the context and places in which you occupy every day through people's questions or their reflections or their comments on the world around them. You know, oftentimes when people are pointing out how horrible something is, on a heart level, they're asking, is there anything more? Their accusation of culture, I think, can sometimes actually be a heart's curious cry of, is there a response to so much brokenness? I'm curious, is there anything else besides what there is? Jesus says, yes, there is. He is present to a world looking to see what he might be like. And I'm convinced that Jesus wants to move close to these people. Just like he did for Zacchaeus through his people. There are those around us every day that are curious. And we, as the people of God, sons and daughters who've tasted and seen that he is good, have an opportunity to join Jesus in his redemptive work and move close with an opportunity for encounter as a response to the curiosity of those who still live in brokenness. So I I guess I'm asking, now what? (laughs) What do we do with that? I think we can do two things. And I think this is what Jesus showed us in the scriptures. I think each and every one of us, as we're out in the world and we're on our way from here to there, we've been given great assignment by the Lord and we've set our face to the thing in which we want to do. We can never forget to be two things. Aware. Just be aware of where you are the culture around you, the environments and experiences of those that are different from you. Be aware. Be curious about what God might be wanting to do or is already doing. I'm inviting us to to be aware. And secondly, I'm just inviting us to be available.
I want to tell you just a few quick stories. Am I doing okay on time? I'll be honest. I didn't check the clock. I'm really sorry about that. I'll do better next time. Am I, are we doing okay? Okay. Are you guys doing okay? Is this all right? Are you, okay. Just a couple stories. Um, you know, we have a few home church expressions within Nava, which is in our own journey with Jesus, and it's been wild and fun. It's, it's been all of it. You know, it's been all of it. Um, and a, a home church that I lead with some others, um, there's, there's this really beautiful woman I've known for years, and she's an artist, and she's quirky, and she's fantastic, you know, everything that artists are, you know, we're kind of the Captain Jack Sparrow sort of stuff, you know, we're kind of odd sometimes, and my sweet friend is no different, <laughs> and this is what she's done. She has a passion for art, and she's, she's put it to work, so she's o- done an open art room, out of her garage, in her neighborhood, in her city. It's about 15 minutes outside of my city. So she's just opened up an art room for young people, young adults. She's just made a space. And there's a young lady who's come into that art room. And, and my friend is just loving through art, making space to do things and be things. And, you know, it, it is, is what it is. But she's just created an environment and she's kind of set herself to just be aware and be available to what God is doing around her and with her and in her. And there's a young lady who comes and she's struggling with a few things in her life, some identity pieces, just some stuff in her own story. She's just really struggling. And um, she's come into this place and she's learned that my, my friend is hosting a space because my friend loves Jesus and she wants people to feel welcome. And it, just the space has started to be a little provocative. And in that space, this art kid who's come in for a place of just welcome and hospitality is getting a little curious about the things that she sees on my friend. She's just a little curious in the space. So she does the questions, you know, the, who are you? Why do you do what you do? What, what, what is this sort of thing? And her curiosity has led to just small nuggets of encounter. And so she get an answer and it was enough to brave another question she'd get one and brave another question and then she'd get an encounter and then she'd brave a statement when I hear the word Lord or God I cringe and I would really like to get to a place that when I hear the word Lord or God I don't cringe that's where this young person is Curiosity has led her all the way to she's been a part of our home church fellowship for at least a month. She's exploring the church when we gather together. She's exploring and asking curious questions within an alpha course that we're hosting at Nava. Do you see what I'm saying here? Like, curiosity met with awareness and availability. She's getting met with encounter that's producing more curiosity, that's leading to more encounter. She's not there yet. She's not confessed the Lord Jesus. But you know what? Her interest in getting to have a peek at God is positioning her to have an encounter with God. That's one way I'm seeing this happen in in my own life currently. And I'm just getting to watch it. And just another tidbit on that, you know, a couple weeks ago we're in a house together and this curious friend who's not yet confessed to Lord Jesus is holding somebody's baby and hanging out at the kitchen sink sharing life. 
She may not be the I'm going to restore fourfold situation, but I'm convinced Jesus is up to something. Because I had a friend who was aware and available. Last story. Um, A few years ago, we were standing in the kitchen of my house. My oldest daughter, you know, she just, I don't know, she may have been eight at the time. She just asked a question. Like I said earlier, kids ask questions, and, you know, you just, you just kind of go with it. She asked a question. You know, I like the really spiritual and biblical questions. I just, I want to get in there. You know, I want to talk the deep stuff. You know? And when my kid asked that, I'm like, oh, yeah, here we go. Awesome. And she just says, she's like, Dad, what's your favorite scripture? Just a curious question. And I thought about it for a minute, and I just said, okay, babe, it's Psalm 27.4. Do you know this one thing I've asked of the Lord? This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. So I gave her the reference and I said it to her. And I kid you not, this is the only time something like this has happened. She's hearing it and she's looking at me. And I know my kid, she's not a crier. All of a sudden her eyes start to get wet. I'm going, okay, what's happening here? And my eight-year-old just starts crying. And I'm going, okay, honey, what's going on? What are you doing? What are you feeling? What are you, you know, I'm asking all the cool feeler questions. What are you feeling? What's going on? And in her little eight-year-old mind, she says, I don't know what's happening. But as you said that, I, I, I think I heard God laughing. I've never heard God laugh. I would like to. My eight-year-old's curious question led her to an encounter with God in our kitchen. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm suggesting to you that curiosity in the kingdom of God just might lead to life-transforming encounters. And oftentimes, these are ordinary, everyday moments last point I want to make in this story is like there, there was no great teaching. There was no profound move of power. There was no healing. There was nothing like that. There was a curious man whose greatest imagination was to get a peek at the one who had turned the world upside down. And his choice to give in to the curiosity, to brave a glance led to a life-changing encounter with the living Christ. And it was the most ordinary, everyday moment. It was a stop, it was a look, it was a name, and a story was rewritten. So remember at the beginning I, I, I said I wanted us to have a fresh imagination and perhaps an impartation. What is God up to? What is he up to? In your everyday, ordinary moments of life, what might God be up to? And where is he inviting you to join him? Would you guys go ahead and stand? If we're going to stand and stretch...
There's a lot of stuff that this story doesn't say, and we've inferred, and we've been curious, and we've suggested, and we've, we've asked questions. I'm, oh, man, I'm convinced the Lord is with us and is meeting us. I'm convinced that, that we have some moments here to, to try it out. There's a lot it doesn't say, but I think the story does say this, that Jesus moved in, and he came close, and he called a name, and lives were changed. It was a meal around the table. It was a walk to the house. It was, you know, maybe a chit-chat, but we do know that when Jesus comes near, lives are changed. I don't know where this hits you. I don't know where you find yourself in this story. I don't know if maybe you find yourself this morning and you feel way more like Zacchaeus than you ever have in your life. You're left with a lot of curious questions and you've heard of Jesus, you've heard of what he's been doing around you, but you're not quite sure if he's anything other than a really good name in the midst of a culture. And maybe you think there's 101 reasons why you couldn't get close and you have no imagination for him to call your name or to be near or spend any time with you at all. It's okay if you are Zacchaeus right now and you're curious. Because I believe Jesus wants to come close. Maybe you're not Zacchaeus. Maybe you're, you're on the road. Maybe you're in his entourage and you're, you're, you're on your way to all the wonderful things that Jesus has said he's going to do in and through and with you. And, and you just need, need a a, a fresh touch of the Spirit that opens your eyes and stirs your heart to just simply be a little more aware and a little more available than you were yesterday. Perhaps the Spirit of God through the Scriptures has sparked an imagination that the same roads you walk every day, the same places you go here to there, your same region that you've been in all the time, places that have been familiar, perhaps with awareness and availability, the Spirit of God is going to invite you in with Jesus as He transforms a life. Wherever you're at this morning, I bless you in it. And I bless you to lean into it. So why don't we just open our hands in a posture of receiving. Is that okay? And we're just going to take a moment. And we're going to take a deep breath. And we're going to say, Holy Spirit, speak to my heart. Lord, do you find me today in a tree? Just hoping for a peak. Loving Lord Jesus, I ask that you would move in now. However, you want to love your people right now. Move in now. Call their name. Pull them close. Stay the night. Lord, I pray for my friends in the room this morning who are on the road with you, have tasted and seen that you're good, are on the way with you, and we're longing to see more of you in our daily lives. Holy Spirit, I pray just a fresh wind and impartation would come across the room. You would fill each and every one. You'd open our minds, our imaginations. You would open our eyes. You would fill our bellies with a hunger to see you at work in the everyday places of our lives. Come, Holy Spirit, and help us to be aware and available to you 
every moment of every day. We want a people that believes God, that you meet curiosity with encounter. We thank you for being with us today. Continue to minister to us through your word, through your presence, through the gift of one another as we go about our our business today in our lives. We love you. We love you, God. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.